Love that story of Esther. There, there, there's, you know, I love movies that are true, that, that come from true stories, because it just engages me when I know that it's a true story. And there's one movie that I just love that's, that's a true story. I, I like when it's a, a, a sports movie that's a true story. I guess it's a guy thing, but I really like when it's a sports thing, it's a true story. And one of my favorite sports true stories is the movie Rudy. See, Ruth even says amen. She likes Rudy. I, I, I have to admit, I've probably seen that movie like 45 times, and I cry every time. I lose it. I lose it at the part when he runs out in the field, when he gets to play one play, a couple plays for Notre Dame football. I lose it when he runs out there. Everybody starts yelling, Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. Let's say it together. Rudy, Rudy. Yeah, you guys know. If, if you've never seen the movie, it's just a great movie about... A kid who just wants to play football for Notre Dame. He's an okay football player, but not good enough to play for Notre Dame. And so even his grades aren't good enough to get into Notre Dame. So he goes to a junior college, tries all these things. And that's his whole goal is to, to play and becomes a maintenance person for, for Notre Dame, just to be by the field. And he loves their tradition. And his heart is huge. And you could see his heart that he wants to play. And he plays much harder than the other uh, athletes that actually could play or had the ability. But, but he had, Rudy had the heart to do it. And, and the, the great part about the movie, it's, it's, it's about someone who didn't stand on the sideline, who, who just didn't give up, that, that pursued his dream with everything he had, to make it happen, and then, you know, obviously, if, um, spoiler alert, if you've never seen the movie, I'm just going to give it away because it's just so good. But, um, you know, eventually he does get to play in a couple plays, and he makes a tackle, and everybody's going crazy, and that's where I lose it in the movie. But what I love about the movie is, is he doesn't settle for the sideline. And, and, and I believe that if we're going to be used by God, if we're going to be used to our full capacity for the purposes that God has for us, we, we can't be sideline people. We, we just, we can't sit by and watch everybody else doing the work that we have to say, God, what, what do you have for me? What, what, what do you want me to do? How do you want to use my life to change eternity? And I believe that when someone makes a decision for Jesus Christ, it's not a decision just to go to church and to, and to sit in a pew. Going to church is great and studying the Bible is great and all those things are wonderful. It's part of our discipleship process. But how many know that God wants to use us to make a difference for his kingdom? Not just for today, but for eternity. And this is what we're going to see in the story of Esther. It was someone who didn't sit on the sidelines, who could have easily kept her mouth shut while she saw the destruction of the Jews before, but she actually took a step of faith to move out to literally, we're going to see at the end of the message, how it literally changed a generation. We're going to see how this story fits into the New Testament. I don't want to give away because it's so good. And it, it should, we should grab a hold of this to realize that our lives matter way beyond our living and the footsteps that we make on this earth. God says, I want to use you to make an impact to future generations. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, last week when Stephen Grosh spoke, and they, they spoke about going to areas in Tajikistan where there is no gospel presentation. And he said, there are places that I drive and I look in that valley. And he started saying, God, who is going to go to that valley? 
Who's going to share the gospel message? And when he had that picture of him with that young man who he led to the Lord, who he's going to go back and change his family. And then that family member is going to change someone else. And you see how God is working in a country that, that there's no gospel presentation where you, you can't publicly be a, a, a missionary, but yet God is doing this great work within that uh, area of the world that God is using him to change people's lives and change people's hearts one at a time after a time after a time. It's just, it's just wonderful to see. And that, that gets me excited because, because God can do that through anyone who makes a stand for him. And so what we see here, this story of, of Esther is so intriguing for me because this story happened some 2,500 years ago. And, and let me just give you a little background here as we saw in the video. Esther is a Jew. She's living in Persia, uh, which is now modern-day Iran. And uh, many Jews living in that era was a result of the exile from Israel as a result of God's judgment against them. So this is some 500 years before Christ. Um, uh, this is a sad part of Israel's history because of their backsliding. And so God allowed the enemies of, of Israel to come in to exile them to other parts of the world. And, and Persia at this time is a huge, huge powerhouse of a nation and rules much of the land in that area. And, and so with that, when they moved to these other areas, there was much suspicion and prejudice against the Jews. And we see this in this story. In fact, th this story comes the Feast of Purim, which Jews celebrate each February or March. It's a celebration of God's deliverance from extermination. And at the heart of this festival is the reading of the book of Esther, which tells the story of God delivering the Jews out of the evil hand of Haman. Now, now, who wanted to plot to kill all the Jews? Um, now, why was Haman this way? Why was he so adamant against the Jews? Well, he was a descendant of King Agag. Uh, he was the king of the Amalekites, this ancient enemy against Israel. So he had a heart against them from the beginning, looking to plot and destroy them. So this is how the tradition goes for the Feast of Purim. Uh, when this story is read, the listener would get involved with the story. So whenever the, the two names were mentioned, you would either cheer or you would boo. So when Mordecai, uh, the cousin of Esther, was mentioned, everybody would go, yeah, Mordecai, he's the one that saved the day. And then when Haman's name was mentioned, everybody would boo. So every time uh, Mordecai's name, uh, the listener would cheer. And so let's try it. Mordecai. Not bad. <laughs> okay. It was like, okay. It's okay. We'll work with it. All right. Then, <laughs> I love you guys. Mike's, Pastor Mike's cracking up over there. I don't know why. Okay. Then every time Haman's name was read, the listener would boo. Very good. You guys are awake this morning. That was not bad. So, so here, here's, so they would get into the story. Now, not only would they do that, but but when they would read the story, they would also uh, bring stones with them. And every time Haman's name was mentioned, they would bang stones together. I hope no one brought stones. Okay, because if the preaching's bad, I don't want them thrown at me, okay? So they would bang the stones together to try to erase his name. Not only would they do that, but they would also put his name on the bottom of their shoes, so they would, and every time it was named, they would stamp their feet and they would bang the stones together and stamp their feet and boo to try to erase his name. So he's not very 
popular. But every time Mordecai was mentioned, they would... Very good. Okay, you guys are with it. I do. The 8.30 crowd is always a little rowdy. Okay, so, so here's, here's what I want you to see about the upper part of this whole story, which I love. It's a story of God using this teenage girl for his eternal glory, and through her, God would save his people. Now, I want you to see as we read through the story, because we're going to go through the whole book today. Um, It's only going to take a couple hours. I've moved the second service to 2 o'clock. No, I'm just teasing. We're going to go through it. We're going to go through the whole book, because it's really, it's a very interesting book, because we're going to see how God uses her and how God's sovereignty works through this whole story. It's amazing when you read the story because you're like, how could this happen? How could this event happen at this time? And how could this change? And it's just, when you read the story, it's just amazing how God is working his plan through this whole thing and how he takes Esther, who is someone unknown and and places her right at the feet of this king who has all the power in the world. And we're going to get a little background of Persia and, and what that means. So through Christ, God uses us for his eternal glory that, that lives would be changed for eternity. So, so I want you to understand that your life does matter to God. And he doesn't want you sitting on the sidelines. He says, listen, I can take all your dysfunction, all the things, the bad choices you've made, and I can redeem them for my glory to now use you for my purposes. And this is why I have called you. This is the whole reason why I sent my son to change that relationship that was once enemies with God, that you now are and we are now friends of God, to be used for him and to be woven into his plan, to be used by him for his glory. That's what it means to be a child of God. So it's not just coming to church and saying, I'm religious or I I do churchy things. It's actually saying, God, you have now changed my life. You've transformed my heart. You forgive me of my sins so that I can be used for you, for your eternal purposes, and for your glory. So whatever God calls you to do, he weaves that into his tapestry of eternity to say, listen, I want to use your gifts and your talents that I've given you for my purposes and my glory. And that's really the crux of what we see in the story. So let's look at Esther chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there and look at the screens. We're going to read verses 10 through 12 here. We're going to kind of go through... Uh, different chapters here. Esther's not a long book, but we're going we're gonna to tackle the whole thing today. So let, let's see what happens here. It says, On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded seven eunuchs who served him, Mehehum, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abaktha, Zethar, and Carcass. I like the name Carcass. It sounds like a Wayne County name, doesn't it? I just... <laughs> I just killed a deer and I got his carcass in the back of my garage there. I think I'm going to name my kids Carcass. I like that name. Verse 11. <laughs> so what he does is he brings Queen Vashti, who's the queen to Xerxes. She's wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti rushed, uh, refused to come, and then the king became furious and burned with anger. You're like, okay, what's the big deal here? So he wanted just to show his queen off to show how pretty she was. Well, if you read the preceding verses, here's what's really going on in this scene. What's going on is, is basically a six-month party that the king threw. And so for six months, they're partying to show their power and their prestige. And the last seven days of this 
six-month party was an absolute free-for-all. See, the law was in Persia that you only drink when the king drank. And in Persian culture, the king basically had absolute power. But the last seven days, an edict was given and passed that you could drink freely, which means everyone was basically in a drunken stupor. So at this point, the king says he wants his king to come and to show off before the drunken men, dance and flaunt and parade herself to become an object, which she says, I'm going to have nothing to do with this. So at this point, the king has a dilemma. Um, you didn't say no to the king. And, and what, what kind of presence would that set for other women who could also rebel? So what the king does is he, he sends an edict and he passes it. And now she is banished from the king's presence. Now, the problem is now the king has no queen. And so when he sobers up, he regrets what he does, but he can't change the edict because it was against the law to change the law. Does that make sense? Okay. So what happens is he gathers these beautiful girls from around the providence to have them go through a year of beautification. And so basically they have a year of spa treatments and he now brings them to Susa, the capital. And within this group, Esther comes. She was an orphan raised by her cousin Mordecai. Ah, yeah. uh, somebody got it. See, there's you guys are listening. Somebody in the back got it. You, you guys aren't sleeping in the back. So that's good. You got it. So now what Mordecai is doing, he's serving in the government. He's way down in the government. He's not that powerful, but he kind of knows what's going on behind the scenes. So Esther, now she finds favor. Now, I've got to be honest with you here. I have a 13-year-old daughter, and I absolutely 150% would not want my daughter to go through this, to actually become an object. Basically, what's going on here is the Persian equivalent of The Bachelor. That's basically all that's going on here. They're parading them through. It's just not a good thing, okay? So now, this is tough because you're, you're just one girl of many that's trying to please the king. So why would Esther allow herself to go through this? Because you've got to think about that. Why would she even put herself through this? Well, you need to understand the culture. When the king spoke, you listened. Or, or if you didn't obey, you basically lost your life. Esther has no say. This is a, a, a patriarchal society um, and who she marries and so forth. So she has no say. And what's interesting about the book of, of Esther is you never hear her thoughts. You really never hear what she thinks about this whole thing. And I believe it's this reason, because she doesn't have a choice. She disobeys and she does this. So let's move to chapter two. Let's read a couple of verses here because look what happens. God does, even through this weird set of circumstances, God is going to use it for his glory. God knows the future. Now, now at this point, Esther doesn't see it, but God does. And he's saying, just trust me. So she's trusting the Lord here and she's moving through this process, even though it doesn't seem like a very good process, but she is. So let's look at chapter two, verse 17. It says, now the king, here's funny, here comes God's sovereignty weaving through this story, is now attracted to Esther more than any other one of all these women that came before him. And she won his favor and approval more than any other of the virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So now she is queen. You see God working through the story here? Now she's queen. Now, now she has a little bit of leverage 
here. So what's interesting is Haman. You guys got it. All right, that's pretty good. Let's leave it right there. Okay, that's good. You guys got it. He's now promoted to prime minister. So here you got this hater of the Jews. He's promoted to prime minister and he's an egomaniac, which, which is basically an understatement. So he has got, uh, he's got all this uh, power. And now, so what he wants to do as we read through the story is he wants everyone to bow at, at his greatness. And so he considers himself almost to the point of some kind of deity. Except Mordecai would not bow. And so because he was a Jew, he would not give Haman his honor. So let's go to chapter 3 and let's see what happens here in Esther chapter 3. So if you're, reading through, if you're going through your Bibles, let's just flip over one more chapter. And let's read verses 5 and 6. It says, when Haman saw Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only him, only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes, which was huge. This was a huge annihilation. And what's interesting about this very time, it's the month of Nisan, which is the first month of the Jewish religious calendar, which began in the spring which began the celebration of Passover. And as the Jews begin to celebrate God's deliverance from Egypt, Haman is constructing a way to kill all them and to have a Holocaust of the Jews. Very interesting. So what Haman does is he paints this huge, ugly picture of the Jews, making them out to be troublemakers. And the king then passes an edict to have them killed. So Mordecai hears all of this because he's in this governmental position. He tears his clothes he puts on sackcloth and ashes and cries at the entrance of the king's gate. Now, now, Esther sees this because she's in the palace. So she sees what's going on and she sees her uncle. So she, she, she hears of this. She knows of this. And she's deeply dis- distressed. And she sends clothes to Mordecai to put on and say, hey, tone it down. And so word gets back to Esther on what's going on. And Esther doesn't want to get involved knowing that if she goes to the king unannounced, she could be killed. And so what she says is, um, she says that she has not been called before the king in some 30 days. Now, I want you to understand, once again, in Persian culture, the law had no exceptions. It was absolute. The king had absolute power. If he held his scepter out, you could be approached. Uh, uh, If he did not, you could be put to death. So, so she's in a really bad situation here because she's like, I just can't go before the king or I'll be killed. I just, I, I can't do it. I, I, I just can't. And so she's in a, a huge predicament. And so what happens is Mordecai sends word back to Esther. And, and these are probably some of the words that you recognize. These are the famous words of Esther that probably many of you recognize and have heard quoted in Esther chapter 4. So let's see that in verses 12 through 17. Because here are the words that he comes before and says, hey, listen, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. Listen to my words. And so it, it says here, it says, when Esther's words uh, were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. He says, do you think that because you are in the king's house, you are alone of all the Jews, uh, of you alone will all the Jews escape? For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. 
But if you and your family, uh, but, but, but for you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. Esther, God, do you see what's going on here? Why were you picked out of all those women? Why were you picked? Why are you in the royal palace? Not, not, only, not only were you, you picked to come and to be part of this, but you were picked to be the queen. There's something going on here. And so what happens is then Esther sends this reply to her uncle. And she says, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. So she's now thinking, she goes, I got to go before the king. I've got to do something. She goes, have them fast for me. Do not eat and drink for three days uh, for night or day. And I, my attendants, will fast as you do. Then this is done. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though, even though, even though it's against the law, she, she resolves in her heart to say, if I die, I die. If I, this is too big of a deal. If, if I die, I die. I'm going to lay my life down for this because, because I've got to do something. I can't sit on the sidelines and watch this go. And so, so, so her uncle went away and carried out all Esther's instructions. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Uh, here's what I like about this. What does she do? Does she panic? Does she, does she rely on her own strength and her ability or even the leverage of maybe even being, uh, you know, uh, so close to the king because she's the princess or, you know, because she's the queen? What does she do? What I love about this is she calls for a fast to seek God. Not to, not to manipulate God, but to seek him for wisdom. I love that. You know, there are times in our lives that we have absolutely no idea what to do. And it's so easy for us to depend on our own strength, our own ability, our own wisdom. But what she does here, she says, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to go to, I'm not, because sometimes we think fasting and praying, we're trying to manipulate God. Like, God, I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast, but I'm trying to do it so, so I can have my will done because I want you to work in this certain way. I, I really believe at this point, she has no idea. I mean, she's just saying, listen, have everybody start fasting and praying and just, Let's seek the Lord because I need the wisdom. She said, do it on behalf of me because everything was falling on her shoulders. So she doesn't panic. She seeks the Lord, not trying to manipulate the Lord. And so what she wants to do is seek God. So she needs God's favor for this impossible situation. What a great example for us. So what Esther does is this. This is brilliant. This is just, this is from God. She throws a banquet for the king. How many women know? It's a good place to start. Man, I had some good rice and beans last night at the banquet. Oh, man. Ooh, it was some good rice and beans. I was eating rice and beans at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock last night because I had some leftovers. Man, that was good stuff. Greens and beans. Mm, there was some good food last night. Okay, anyways. Now I'm thinking about rice and beans. Okay, let's move on. So she throws a banquet, which is a great idea. And so while Haman uh, is, is manipulating this whole thing to try to kill Mordecai, what he does is he starts moving his plans forward. And, um, and he starts to build a, a, build a, a gallow to, to basically hang Mordecai. And he's actually bragging about this. 
And so what happens is Queen Esther comes for the king, shows favor, and he allows her to have this feast for him. So what happens is this interesting thing happens that we read in scripture here. It says that that very night, the king couldn't sleep. And so what he had was he had these, uh, this book of memorable deeds read to him. And what was interesting about these memorable deeds are just good things that has, are happening in his kingdom. There was a part that was read to him. Now, this is God's sovereign hand. The part that was read to him was about Mordecai and how he saved the king. Now, the king didn't know this. It was written down. The king didn't know this. But Mordecai actually stopped an assassination plot against the king. So now the king goes, I need to honor this Mordecai guy. And so what the king does is you've got, you've got Haman building gallows out to hang him. And you've got the king of Persia with absolute power that says, I'm going to honor him for saving my life. Interesting, isn't it? So you've got these two extreme things happening at the same time. So the king honors him and it's at the feast. Well, the king's in a good mood. His, you know, he's eating some good rice and beans. It's at the feast that, that Esther reveals what is happening to the king behind his back and how he was fooled. So let's read chapter 7 here, verses 3 and 4. Because here's, here's, here's how she approaches the king. L- watch her language here. It says, Then Queen Esther answers, If I found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. And this is my petition, that, and spare my people. So now, now here she reveals who she is. Now she reveals to the king, listen, I'm one of them. You may not, you don't know that, but now I'm going to reveal to you that I am also a Jew. And so, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. And if I had merely been sold as a male and female slave, I would have kept quiet because of such distress would, would not justify disturbing the king. So what she does is she reveals who she is. She reveals how he's being manipulated, how he's being manipulated behind the scenes. And so the king says, who is behind all this? And she points to Haman. The gallows that were meant for Mordecai are now going to be used for Haman. And at this, the Jews were spared. Mordecai is now placed second in command. So no, what's great story, right? Happy ending. Now here's, here's the upper story. This is how it has to fit within the story as we've been going through the story for so many weeks now. This is a story of God preserving the offspring of Abraham. And through that offspring, we understand would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And without the Messiah, we could not find salvation. And as a people group, the Jews uh, should have not survived it. God preserved them. Isn't it interesting? I don't know. I've never met a Hittite, Ammonite, Jebusite, Parasite. I've never met any of those people groups that are talked about in the land of Canaan. But isn't it interesting that, that the Jews are still here, that God has still preserved them, that God's plan for them is still not done, that God's plan would not be thwarted, that the Jews are spared by God to keep his promise that the Messiah would come. His plan is fulfilled ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ came to rescue us from the gallows of sin. And so the thing I, I want us to, to take here is, What are the things that burden us or bother us? 
Do we sit by and watch or do we get involved? Mordecai reminded Esther of her identity. He says, Esther, you have to do this. This is who you are. You can't hide behind this. And if we follow Jesus, we have to be burdened for those who have not yet come to Christ. And I can remember reading this story. It's about a man who lived in England in the 1600s. And he was imprisoned for his faith in Jesus Christ. And the judge spoke to him in the court and says, if you promise not to preach, I'll let you go. And this, this follower of Jesus Christ replied, I will stay in prison till moss grows on my eyelids rather than disobey God. The judge replied, therefore, I sentence you to six more years in the Bedford jail. This man was John Bunyan, who was sent to prison three times. If you don't know who John Bunyan is, he wrote this wonderful, wonderful book called Pilgrim's Progress, one of the most influential Christian novels ever written. It's a story of a dream of a Christian who journeys from the city of destruction to the celestial city. Some have called it the most excellent map to be found anywhere. What's interesting about this book that he wrote while he was in prison, because he would, even if he was in prison, he goes, I'm not going to stop preaching. I'm going to write. I want to still let my testimony be loud and clear. When, when China's communist government printed Pilgrim's Progress as an example of Western cultural heritage, its initial printing of 200,000 copies was sold in three days. John Bunyan's story continues to go from 1600 because he refused to not stop preaching the gospel even when he was told not to. Don't ever think that your decision to follow Jesus Christ doesn't affect future generations because it does. Now, here's where this story just hits me. Here's where it hits me. Esther's decision to stand up would have a residual effect over 400 years later. So how would this happen? When the church was launched on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost is the Jewish festival where God-fearing Jews would come all over and, and descend upon Jerusalem. It was the harvest festival celebrated 50 days, Pente, 50 days after Passover. What is interesting, if you read through Acts chapter 2, it tells where these God-fearing Jews came from. And one of the places they came from were the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia. What we know are is that these very same people were residents of Susa and most likely were among the Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, all from the area where Esther lived. Listen to me closely. The saved descendants of the ones Esther and Mordecai served were now witnesses of the greatest event of church history when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church on the day of Pentecost. By her making a stand affected those future generations some 400 years later because she said, I'm not going to stand on the sideline any longer. If it means my life, it means my life. I can't keep my mouth shut. Don't ever, ever tell me your decision for Christ doesn't have a lasting impact. Don't give up. 
For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. But who knows that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. I thank God that I had a praying great-grandmother that did not give up praying for her family. She believed that God was going to move, that God was going to move through her family. She never stopped praying. Maybe she didn't see it right away, but then she began. Now we can look back and see that because of the faithfulness of her prayers, we can see God moving through our own family. See, we can sit back and we can say, you know what, my life doesn't make that much of a difference and blah, blah, blah. It does. It does. Remain faithful to God. Don't sit back on the sidelines any longer. God, how do you want to use me in my life? It's amazing. It's like a domino effect when we begin to make a stand for Jesus Christ and say, you know what? I want my life to make a difference. I want my life to make a difference in my children's life. I'm going to keep praying for them. I'm going to keep, I don't, maybe I don't see anything right now, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep praying, God. I'm going to be, continually be a, a, a witness for you because I want my life to matter. That's what missions is all about. It's about proclaiming what God has done in your heart wherever God has planted you for such a time is this. And I, I, I can remember, I shared this story on Wednesday night because it was just so visual to me as a teenager. And I can remember the Lord just called myself and my twin sister to start a prayer group in our high school, um, our senior year. I think it was our junior or senior. And... Um, I can remember it was just like two or three. It was my sister and some other girl I dragged there and made her come to the prayer group on Thursday mornings. And I can remember at the end of the year, we had about 35 students that started coming. You know, we pray together. And I said, I remember I was nervous. I talked to my youth pastor. He said, Barton, if this is what God's calling you to do, then do it. Just pray. And I, and I, just, I said, God, I just want to see somebody saved. It would be great because a lot of the kids that came were, were Christians and we would just pray for our school. And I can remember there was this one day this boy named Michael came into our group. And Michael said, my parents are going through a divorce. I didn't know where to go, but I heard about your prayer group. I go, oh, that's great. Mike, come on in. And I can remember that even in that prayer group, I prayed with Michael to ask the Lord to become his Lord and Savior. And I got thinking to myself, for such a time as this, you know, we can stand back and say, well, I don't want to do that because I'm nervous or I'm afraid. And God says, listen, step out in faith and see what I can do through you if you just step out in faith. Let me give you the words. I'll set everything else up for you because I'm in control. Just step out in faith and let me use you for my glory and my purposes. I don't want my heart to get cold to that. I want to look at my life as that every opportunity it's an opportunity to share the gospel. An opportunity to allow my life to be a witness for the Lord. 
I don't care if you're standing in Wegmans. I was in Wegmans the other day and a lady was in, she was in a wheelchair and she, she was by herself, but she dropped some soda on the ground and she was struggling to pick it up. And, and I go, oh, let me get that for you. And so I'm bending down, helping her with the soda. Spoke to my heart and said, Barn, that woman is me. You're serving me. Don't ever forget that. So wherever you are, you're serving the Lord. You're serving him. Let that, let that be our ambition. Let that be our heartbeat. God, use me. Let my life matter. Let my life make a difference for you. And he wants to use you for his glory. Amen. I want us to stand today. And I want to pray for you today. And God would just use us for his purposes and his glory as we go out into this world. Amen. Let, let's be his hands and his feet in this world. So let's pray together. Lord, I, I want to thank you for doing everything for us. Lord, for giving your life for us. Lord, it's not us. It's all about you. You've done everything for us. You've given us everything we need to be restored. And I pray, Lord, that we would look at our lives now as lives that are your vessels that want to be used to change other hearts and lives for your purposes and your glory, God. So just see that when we're out in this world, God, I pray that we would see the person that irritates us, cuts us off on the road. is another opportunity to serve you, Lord. Because I know that's my problem, God. I sometimes see people as an irritation or just kind of get in my way from what I have to do from, from, for my daily things. God, forgive us of that. Help us to see that it's another opportunity to serve you, to let your light shine from our, from our hearts, that we wouldn't see missions as someplace 3,000 miles away, but we would see it every day where we go, what we do, the places we work, the people we come in contact with as our mission field. The minute we walk out of these doors, it's our mission field, God. Help us never to forget that. So Lord, use us. For your glory, give us the faith. For those that are here today that just feel like, God, I don't know how you can use me. Lord, let them just take a step of faith. Give them boldness through your Holy Spirit to make a difference. Maybe they're nervous about asking somebody to church or sharing their faith. God, give them the boldness to say, hey, let's, let's go to Starbucks and get a cup of coffee. I, I just want to share it with you. God, give us the boldness to do that. We thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for us for giving your life for us. Thank you, Lord. So I pray as we go now in your presence and your power, God, that we would never forget that. That every opportunity we see in our daily living, in our daily lives, our daily living, is another opportunity to serve you. May we see our world as our mission field, God. And we thank you for your patience with us. We love you this morning. Thank you for your word. We just ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, 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 amen. Listen, before I release all of you, be careful, be careful, be careful. You walk out in the parking lot. Um, 
But also, if any of you need prayer today, our prayer partners will be up front. Love to pray with you guys. Otherwise, go in God's grace. Have a wonderful day. God bless you.